Welcome back to the Small Fleet and Owner Operators Summit. I'm John Kingston. I'm FreightWaves Editor-at-Large. The largest organization servicing owner-operators is the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association, much better known as OIDA. And, you know, it's one of those rare trade groups that isn't based in Washington, but that doesn't mean that it focuses uh, strays too far from the nation's capital. Obviously, everything that goes on in Washington in transportation policy will affect the independent owner-operators out on the road. And with a new administration in place, there are many issues that OIDA is hoping uh, to be addressed by the Biden administration and the new Congress. So to talk about it, we've got William Louis Pugh. Uh, Louis has been a OIDA member for two decades, and he served on the OIDA Board of Directors since 2004. He resides in Holden, Missouri, near where the OIDA office is located. He has 26 years of trucking experience with 22 years as an owner-operator. He became the manager of OIDA's Businesses Services Department in March 2018, and he was elected executive vice president soon after that. So, Louis, welcome to our summit. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. So, Louie, I'm kind of interested. First of all, thanks for joining us today here at the uh, at the FreightWave Summit. But uh, it's interesting talking to some of your colleagues in preparing for this interview that one of the things they, not so much they didn't want to talk about, but they wanted to be clear that is OIDA does not believe there's a driver shortage. And in fact, at FreightWaves, we tend not to refer to the driver shortage. We'll call it a driver squeeze or something like that. But I found it interesting from your perspective is because most trade associations actually tend to say there's too few of us. You know, no matter what we, we do, I don't know, maybe the, the ophthalmology association says there's too few ophthalmologists and the chemists say there's too few chemists, whatever. And you're not you're not saying that. I mean, you're you're saying that essentially it's a, it's a market thing. And in fact, early on in my career as a business journalist, I was taught that that there is no such thing as a shortage. There's just an imbalance that can normally be uh, made in balance by economics. So tell us your views on the so-called, <laughs> from your perspective, driver shortage. Yeah, we like to use the word driver churn as a driver turnover problem, as a driver's pay shortage problem, I would say, if you want to talk about a shortage. I mean, the average trucker, I, I saw something the other day, they were talking around $50,000, a little over 50000 which sounds like a lot of money. But when you're a trucker, you have to live on the road, you're away from home a lot, you, you know, it costs a lot of money to eat in truck stops and restaurants. You have to pay to park in a lot of places nowadays, and guys don't get reimbursed. So 50000 yeah, sounds like a lot of money. But when you start taking all this stuff away, plus the amount of time you're gone, plus the amount of time that you're never paid for, that's a, another thing they leave out a lot of times. So many times you spend waste time sitting at shippers and receivers and stuff like that, that you never get that time back paid back to you or paid for so, yes, there, there is. If you would look at inflation, driver's salary should be, if from the 70s to now, should be six-figure salaries if they would have kept up with the rate of inflation. And just unfortunately, driver's salaries have not. Yeah, and that's, that's an argument made by the advocates of the higher minimum wage is that if, if you look, to, they, they tend to take 1968 as their point. And because I guess that was the highest minimum wage when adjusted for inflation in today's dollars and how much minimum wage should be if you did that. So you're kind of making the same argument. Um, you know, I'm going to challenge you a little bit on the 50,000. Um, I'm not saying that no drivers are making that, but uh, I interviewed Todd Amen of ATBS on my podcast. He said the the average, uh, not the W-2, but the average 1040 that he did for uh, independent owner operators last year came in at around 67,500. And he said he had multiple clients who made 100,000. Uh, I think the, the key here, though, is you're right. 
uh, driver wages of tenant to lag, could we be maybe in some long secular change in which, you know, 40 to 50 years of lagging wages are kind of going to come to an end and you're going to see big catch up? Well, I hope so. I mean, we would like to think that, of course. I, I mean, and I'm not going to disagree with the study from ATBS on one on this on owner operators, of course. But I mean, for the average to be somewhere in that, you you know, like the 50 for driver wages, you know, there's got to be people making less than that, just like there's got to be people making more than that to hit the average. And so, but yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think, I think, you know, the turnover rate with these carriers, over the road carriers is like 96%, 94, 96%, somewhere in that range. So you got carriers that are overturning 120, 130%. You got carriers that turn over 8 or 10%, of course. But, you know, with that high of a turnover rate, you, you got guys leaving, you know, they're, they're coming in. I, I talked to a carrier year or so ago they said we don't know what to do because we hire these guys right out of school we give them a job and they stay nine or ten months and then they quit and they go somewhere for a better job well if they're going somewhere for a better job apparently you're not paying them enough you know because they're finding something else these high turnover rates and these pay problems we never really see these with private carriers nor with the ltl carriers and again it comes back to pay and treatment and a lot of these places Guys get paid for their time. I think that's one of the biggest things that we overlook. I mean, I know myself, you spend so much time sitting around loading docks and warehouses and stuff, and you never get paid for that. All right. Uh, let, let, let's, um, let me just ask, though, you, you've been in the business a long time. Have you ever seen a period like this, the, the, the pay rises going in this fast and for this long? We were really about nine months with the pay rises. I know I think the first stories we did of freight waves on higher pay rises were uh, higher pay rates were like last August, early September. Schneider was the first big truckload carrier that did it. And they apparently were following some others. Uh, is this a period that's in, from your perspective is almost unprecedented? Yeah, I would say so. I don't know as far as driver wages now, as far as owner operator rates. I mean, rates really went crazy after fuel and stuff back in 08 to 11. You know, in that time frame, rates were crazy back then and great as I was an owner operator then. But I don't still don't think driver salaries went up like they are starting to go up now. I, you know, I think carriers are finally realizing they've got to pay these guys. If you want safe people and you want people to follow the regs and the rules like you should, because unfortunately, trucking's a piecework a lot of times pay. And, and you know, it, it seems that this, the standard work week in trucking 60 to 70 hours instead of 40. If you want these people to stay, you're going to have to pay them. All right, let's talk about the, the changes in Washington uh, and um, how that's going to affect your industry. Again, I know talking to your colleagues in preparation for this, they said there's the shortage that you do see is parking. And I'm wondering what you think is the federal role in providing more parking, or does this tend to fall on the states and even the localities? Um, I think it is all above. Not only does it fall on, on all them, but it also falls even into the private sector some. And, you know, you, you're correct. The parking's a crisis. It's been at a crisis for you. I mean, it was terrible before I came in the office. I spent most of my time running the East Coast. We know there's not a, much parking over there. And, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it starts with the feds. They're going to have to come up with a way to get money and get it down the chain to the states, to the local cities, municipalities, and even to some of the private sector. Um, you know, the Truck Parking Safety Improvement Act that we helped draft and get pushed out there 
It's out there in Congress right now. I mean, that's what that does. That's supposed to reserve $750 million over five years. That money is to be locked away and kept just for that, kind of like they do with railroad grade crossings. And in your states and your local municipalities and stuff, they can go and do a competitive bid to get this money to add parking. And even a truck stop can go to the municipality or in their state and ask for them to bid to get money. If they get some of this money and put in more capacity, and that's what this is for. This is to increase capacity and capacity only. That capacity then would be free. But again, it's going to take some zoning because we got, there's a lot of places as we know, we see this all the time. We don't want trucks in our backyard. We want you trucks to come in here, deliver their freight quietly, calmly in the middle of the dead of night when no one's around and then leave. So, because we don't want to see them, we don't want to run, we don't want to deal with them. Well, the world doesn't work like that, unfortunately. So, there's going to have to be some municipalities and some areas where they're going to have to change some probably some zoning laws and stuff like that. I think when they put in these industrial parks, we see them go in. There's always vacant ground in an industrial park. And when these city planners and these building planners are putting this stuff in, they need to figure out how many trucks traffic they're planning to get. Maybe put some parking in there. And maybe that's with tax abatements. Maybe that's going to the Walmarts, the Targets, the big boxes who put these big where Amazons getting maybe you allow them to put in some extra parking and they get a little extra tax break. I you know there's all different ways this can be done, but it's gonna take everybody working together. Right. And, and as you, you point out, there needs to be an economic incentive. You know, Love's adds about three thousand parking spots a year. They're free, but of course Love's hopes to get the economic benefit of people using their facilities their restaurants, their showers, etc. Let's again talk about the federal government. There's a new director of FEMSA. Her name is Mira Joshi. Uh, she ha- did work in the New York area for the legendary Sam Schwartz, Gridlock Sam, for those of the New Yorkers out there who may know, who may know all about Sam Schwartz. Uh, you, I guess you've had some meetings with her. What can you tell us? Yeah, we've had a couple meetings with her so far, and I would say that they've been positive. I mean, she's just new on the job, so there hasn't really we haven't really got to see where the rubber meets the road yet. But you know, we're 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 hoping that she continues the open dialogue and the, and the getting out there and in, into the world of trucking, like Martinez did, and like Mullen, did, Administrator Mullen did, and they continue that open dialogue, working with industry working with, you know, and all the partners in the Fed to make things better for all of us, like they did with hours of service. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about hours of service. And the reality is that uh, Director Martinez did talk about open dialogue, and he wanted to hear uh, driver views. And we did get changes in the hours of service regulation. We don't have a lot of time. I'll just touch on them really, real quickly. Expands the short haul exception to 150 air miles. 14-hour shift for those expands the driving window during adverse driving conditions by up to additional two hours, requiring a 30-minute break after eight hours of driving time instead of on-duty time, and there was a changes in the sleeper berth rules. They're more complex than that, but we're, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, you know, those are in those are in place now. They did go through the process, and uh, I think some people expected more. But from your perspective and from talking to your members, uh, are they having an impact on people's daily lives? Yeah, they've had an impact, and I'd say in most cases a positive. Of course, we w- we we would have liked to see more, as would our members. I mean, 
we wanted the thirty hour or the thirty minute break to go away, and but they did change it to where it's easier to get that worked into the system. We would have liked to seen the, the split sleeper berth be more open, like it was back in the old eight and ten days prior to 04 or 03, whenever all this hours of service changed, where you can split it however you want. We like seeing that, and then we also would have liked to see a little pause in the clock. You could have done, but but all in all, they have. Help most guys, of course, trucking is a huge, diverse animal in its own self. So what works for one doesn't always work for another. But I would say from the feedback we get in here, there has been some positives from what they've done. All right. Um, let's talk about the ELD rule. It is firmly in place now. The debate about the impact that it's going to have, I won't say it's over because people still talk about it all the time. But, you know, you've got two or three years under your belt now where this has been the law of the land. Uh, what have been kind of the long-term impacts? Uh, has it tightened up capacity? I and mean, you look at the tight capacity now, you can cite so many reasons. Maybe the long-term impact from the ELD rule is in there. But what are, you, what are the biggest impacts that you've seen from it being fully in place? The biggest impact, I would say, is probably goes back to what we were talking about earlier, and that's parking. You know, with no flex, much not much flexibility, everybody's running at the same time now, it seems like, so guys have to sleep at the same time. So that's probably the biggest crunch. I think most guys have now had EODs long enough. They've changed their operation around a little bit to, to work better with EODs. Um, I would like to think shippers and receivers have gotten a little bit better, but it seemed like they did in the beginning, but that's all sort of went out the window again. And so, you know, we're still seeing detention times and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I get some positive feedback on ELD, surprisingly, but we still have lots and lots of people that don't like it. Um, mainly, I think it's because it's such an expensive thing. It's been really, you know, because we've seen so many guys who have bought this ELD and then six months or a year later, they've went out of business. So they've had to buy another ELD. And, and you know, there's been such an overturn of ELD companies and coming and going. So, you know, that's a, those things are 600 to $1,500. Plus you got to pay a monthly fee. So that's a pretty big added expense when it used to cost us about a dollar a month. All right. Let's, uh, we don't really have much time here. So maybe you can talk about one other uh, legislative goal or legislative concern you have going into the first year of the Biden administration. And maybe it doesn't get quite as much publicity. What else is on your agenda? Well, of course, we're getting ready to go into the highway bill. We're looking at that. We don't know what's going to be in it for sure. We've got some ideas. I guess concerning us is um, is maybe them opening up more tolling or making tolling on the highways, you know, for where they can toll existing roads and stuff like that. Just, we're a little bit concerned about that. We're concerned about the VMT possibly and how they're going to do that. Um, we, you know, we believe in increasing fuel taxes. We'd like to see them in, if they want for infrastructure. We know the highway trust fund's going broke. Fuel taxes have worked for years and years and years. It's, it still works. It's still the fairest thing out there. I understand there's electric vehicles and stuff like that are starting to come into play, but there's ways that they can tax those vehicles as well without doing this VMT. Um, definitely concerned with truck only VMT. Um, we're concerned with some of the safety stuff that we don't consider that it's been proven yet. Uh, I mean, anything's helpful, but we believe wholeheartedly that the best and safest thing is a well-trained driver. And we'd like to see more emphasis on training of drivers and less emphasis on, you know, some of this automatic braking and, and, you know, speed limiters and some of this kind of stuff that we see out there. 
because again, that stuff's all good, and we're not saying that there isn't a place for it. But we don't. We, we see lots of accidents where trucks that have this kind of technology they still wreck. And you know, again, educated driver. You know, it's just like an airplane pilot. The pilot knows how to fly the plane without all the fancy stuff. Truckers need to know how to drive the truck without all that stuff. Well, we certainly hope the pilot knows how to fly the plane. Otherwise, it would be rather rather disconcerting. So anyway, we want to thank William Louis Pugh. He is an executive vice president at OIDA. He's been our guest today here at the Small Fleet uh, Owner-Operator Summit at Freight Waves. I've been your host for this interview. I'm John Kingston. Please stick with us.